This episode is brought to you by Ballyathney. You're listening to the Tigger Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Here's your host, Jeff Cassette. Hi, everybody. There's digital. And then there's really digital. And today, we'll be going deeply digital. Money is changing. Money is becoming virtualized. What if capital markets are headed for the biggest disruption since the internet? It's like a, this shared virtual Google spreadsheet that has one version of the truth. It's a litany of constructs and protocols, tokens and crypto this and crypto that. It's a technology platform that's transformational like the internet was. What it is, is the technology driving the future of the economy, of capital markets, of just about everything, including investor relations. Maybe. On this ticker podcast, IR Pro and tech marketing guru Linda Montgomery explains why IROs should learn about blockchain and digital assets and tokens and Bitcoin and all that stuff. Spoiler, she says it's because their careers may depend on it. That's coming up. But first, we go to IR Magazine Editor-in-Chief James Beach with this Breakfast Briefing Brief. Today, it's a wide-ranging conversation with Corbett's Capital President, Thomas Stevens. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to be joined by Thomas Stevens uh, to talk to us about the breakfast briefing that was held very recently in New York. Uh, Thomas, could you tell us, to start with, about Corbett's and why was it created, please? Corbett's is an investment firm that will focus on fundamental long short equity investing. It will be staffed by top tier investment professionals, investors with years of experience covering their respective sectors and companies. Our team is comprised of individuals that have outstanding relationships with all their constituencies, especially the companies we invest in. I believe we are assembling the greatest team in the history of long short investing. How is Corbett's different to other investors? And how should IR teams think of your firm? I think Corbett's will be different in several important ways. We have a formula for success in investing in our people and establishing a firm that has been built on a collaborative culture. Our hiring hurdle for, is extremely high. We're looking for very experienced teams that want to build businesses, not run books. This means larger teams larger books than many of our competitors. This, of course, will also mean bigger positions that will ne necessitate longer hold holding periods and less turnover. So it is imperative that we may, remain very serious fundamental investors and really try to understand our industries and our companies better than anyone. How are you looking to generate alpha in volatile markets? I'd like to highlight three areas of distinction. First of all, is the experience of our team. Uh, many of our portfolio managers, and myself included, have been doing this for a very long time. We've seen a lot of different market environments, credit cycles, and yes, volatility. And honestly, we embrace volatility. Second, we're patient investors. 
You cannot make money every day. And you need to have a high tolerance for pain and trust your process. We do not let a little short-term volatility change our views on companies or, or industries. You make money by sticking with your bets. And finally, collaboration is the third point I would highlight about our firm. This is our biggest secret sauce. We are sitting in this room together every day, looking at each other. This is not a work from home business. We're talking about the important issues of the day, inflation, oil, the strength of consumer, COVID, war. So it's really helpful to help you know, see what everybody else is thinking. And then finally, with respect to the market opportunity, many of us have been waiting for a market like this since the great financial crisis. It's a market where the Fed will get out of the way and extricate itself. And we believe we will see real dispersion and we are looking forward to picking the winners and the losers. Why was the timing right to start COVID? So the timing is right for several reasons. First of all, we have this awesome infrastructure that needs to be scaled. Second of all, our overall brand and ability to to attract and retain the best talent in the world has never been better in the history of the firm. You couple this with the market volatility and some of the stress we've seen at other firms and other business models, we're seeing pockets of talent that we've never seen in the past. And once again, about timing, we think the market opportunity as the Fed gets away from markets is going to be very good. Could you describe your approach to risk as an investor? Our approach to risk is pretty straightforward. If you are in this business, you really like to take risk. You love risk. But we like very specific risk. We like betting on companies, industries, and management teams. We don't bet on the direction of the market. And again, this is why it's imperative that we know our industries and our companies better than everybody else. What is the outlook for the financial sector? I mean, what keeps you up at night (laughs) as an investor or IRO? Financial stocks are heavily tied to the economy, especially those that are balance sheet heavy. So therefore, their performance will be very linked to the direction of growth. Um, Importantly, though, if we go into an economic downturn, balance sheet and capital level of financial firms are much better shaped than in in prior crises. So this is a very good thing. The most concerning thing for us right now is inflation because inflation will dramatically impact both monetary monetary and fiscal policy solutions. How would you describe the current outlook for the global economy? Generally, I would say I'm cautious right now. I've been doing this a long time, and I believe this may be the single most uncertain environment that I've seen in my career in terms of predicting macroeconomic developments. For me, I think it is very difficult to accept that all the world's central banks and leading economies, all with differing political and fiscal agendas, will be able to execute a soft landing in the face of inflation war, and a global pandemic. So I'm cautious. If a recession does occur, how will this recession be different to the one experienced in 2008? So I think there's, there's, there, there could be a lot of difference, but I think there's good news and bad news. 
As I just highlighted, I think one of the biggest differences is the strength of our financial companies and the overall financial system. There were some companies during the great financial crisis that were actually part of the problem and actually caused it. But I don't think that is the case right now. You look at bank balance sheets, funding, capital, all much better to, equip, to be equipped with a downturn. Again, the bad news is inflation and how it may limit our policy choices. And inflation is something that many investors have not seen in their lifetime, never mind their investing careers. Which factors are you most focused on during this time? What economic indicators should companies pay particular attention to? So at risk of beating the dead horse, we're most focused on inflation right now. And, uh, and this is just different than prior cycles. But we're also paying close attention to liquidity and making sure that financial markets are operating efficiently. And we want to make sure that our companies are able to tap into capital markets and raise money when they can. What learnings can be taken from other highly volatile environments? You have to expect the unexpected. I mean, just in the last few weeks, some of the dramatic moves we've seen in financial markets. You know, in 2006 and 2007, there was a common refrain that we would never see housing prices go down on a national level. Well, guess what? That certainly happened. I think another thing we learned, and you know, companies should know this, that valuation can be overrated. And valuation discrepancies can last for a very long time. And then finally, I would say balance sheet strength, funding, leverage, liquidity. These things may matter more than earnings per share. What makes one company stand out against its peers in times of recession? Well, I sort of hit on it just in the, the prior question, but I would say again, funding and liquidity balance sheet strength, lower leverage. By maintaining a more conservative profile, financial, financial firms will be able to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. It also allows you to invest in your clients, in your business. The best companies in the world are always investing through both good and bad cycles. Shifting our focus to the outlook for the financial sector, what are your big concerns around the sector looking forward? Well, I won't mention inflation again, but uh, that is still uh, top of mind. You know, I, we, there are some potential areas that we are paying uh, attention to. Um, certainly the consumer, we're worried about the consumer, especially on the lo lower end of the consumer. We've seen some stress there. And commercial real estate is another area we're looking at. What can finance companies do now to prepare for an upcoming recession in the first half of 2023? I think financial companies have to maintain their balance sheet strength, maintain great access to funding and capital markets, tighten lending standards, and be willing to lose market share if competition gets irrational. Focus on the long term, not quarterly results. This will always put you in a position to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. What is most helpful to hear about from IR teams during these times? I think IR teams have to just put themselves in our seats and think like a buy side investor. 
do as much work as you can to understand the issues. Lean on the buy side and lean on the sell side. You know, we do an incredible amount of work on the economy, on industries and companies, and we're happy to share what we think. So take advantage of it. It will help you tell your story better. And you need to know what the important issues of the day are before you get on an earnings call or go to a conference. Be ready to answer questions on them and be prepared to increase disclosure if needed. Companies tend to communicate even more during difficult times, but how can companies provide better quality information, do you think? So financial companies are highly regulated already and have great disclosure, right? So we have a, a good starting point. What we like to see in these times are sensitivity analyses to various economic indicators or asset prices. Like I said, it's going to be very difficult to predict what's happening. But if you can show us a sensitivity analysis in various economic uh, outlooks, that's always helpful. And again, always pay attention to what are the most important issues of the day and give updated disclosure if, it, if necessary. For example, what is your total exposure to Russia? That is something our team should be ready to disclose on quarterly calls now. Should companies continue to provide guidance in the current environment? You know, I have no really strong view here. So it's so very hard to know what the future is uh, in this environment. So I would, again, would go back to uh, maybe scenario analysis, sensitivity of what could and, ha- could and could not happen in various economic situations. And my final question. It is often said that the IR function shows its real value during difficult times. What can IR teams do to be more impactful in these times? I think this this is sort of, I, I, I answered this question in a very similar way uh, in a previous question, but again, put yourself in our seat, make sure you're looking at it from the buy side perspective, anticipating what questions we're going to want to know Think about the big issues of the day and communicate with us. You know, call us up, ask us what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what your competitors are doing. We would love to have a two-way dialogue and we're always willing to help. Uh, there's nothing more uh, exciting when I, when I get a, com- a call from a company, you know, and ask me what's going on. Well, it's usually what's going on with my stock or what's going on with the market or what's going on with the competitor. We love these calls. And again, just be ready for increased disclosure if you can do it when you know what the real serious issues of the day are. Well, thank you very much for sharing your fascinating insights with us at IR Magazine. Thank you, Thomas. James, a great pleasure. Thank you for your time. You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, the sound of global investor relations. Linda Montgomery, welcome to the Ticker Podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. Great to be here. Why should IROs pay attention to what's going on with Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto assets? Mm, That's a great question. Yeah, I think it's really important to be on top of this this technology. Um, Well, just to really try to learn about it because it's a, a technology platform that's transformational like the internet was it's uh it's going to be i mean there's so many applications of blockchain 
in so many businesses and IROs today have this going on in their businesses, whether you're whatever you know sector you might be in, there's something going on in blockchain. If you think there isn't, go and talk to your IT department. And there's probably at the very minimum, they're researching this or trying to figure out how they can use this technology in the business to be able to you know, streamline uh, processes, to be able to uh, get you know friction out of uh, business operations, just like the way it, we're engaged in this digital transformation um, initiative, like many companies have been sort of the last uh, ten years or so. Um, this is one more element of of this digital transformation, and maybe the next generation of of digital transformation. So many companies have something going on that's uh, they've been researching. They have it in uh, in test stage right now within their business, usually sort of back office kinds of operations often is how it starts. Certainly, if you look at uh, a lot of financial institutions are, are trying to, uh, to do this. And um, every sector has something that can be some part of their business that can be improved using blockchain. I mean, I'll just say that that's the first point. And then just the transformation that this is going to have on capital markets, I think, is what is also why IROs should be paying attention to this. We uh, we're certainly getting the, the price of Bitcoin every day, along with with um, many other you know tracking you know many other con, uh, conventional um, securities. I mean, Bitcoin is only one of many crypto assets, uh, and then when when we look at the impact that this can have on on capital markets, I think, I think it's important to sort of understand how money is, is changing. Money is becoming virtualized, and again, maybe this is just another transformation that started started with the just the general digital transformation um, uh, activities that that have been going on, uh, you know, in, in in capital markets. And but I, I think that uh, you know, given the huge impacts and all the activity going on in in, um, in finance I think that is a big reason why why um, IROs should should pay should pay attention and and here's another thing I mean I've spent most of my career in technology and at one time technology was seen as this vertical um, this vertical industry you know you're in the tech industry you're in the telecom industry well every industry now is it has some element of being a being a part of the tech industry, so I think that IROs need to um, need to understand this because you know technology and innovation is having such an impact on on the competitiveness of of their organizations and the success of their organizations. I think that uh, I think we all need to be we're heading into a an era where you know technology is is uh, it's having a lot more impact uh, on the, on the business. I think maybe now might be a good time to talk about definitions. Crypto assets, tokens, Bitcoin, blockchain. It's all like, what is it? It's all voodoo. What do we mean by it? What's your assessment of, of, of how uh, you know, far along the curve our IROs are in understanding just, just really the basic definitions of these things? And, and um uh, how do you explain it to them? Yeah, good question. 
And, you know, I, I think IROs are certainly hearing more about this and, you know, they're reading more about this. So I'm, I'm sure they're probably coming up the, the, the curve in, in, in understanding. But just uh, in a nutshell, if we can say, like, what is blockchain? Blockchain is really the, the, the basis of all this. This is blockchain technology and what it enables. So um, you can think of it like a digital ledger uh, that's easily accessible, secure, immutable. And then another way to think about it is it's like a, this shared virtual Google spreadsheet that has one version of the truth. And it gives this um, what's called decentralized trust using cryptography verification instead of like a trusted intermediary like a bank or some other some other you know intermediary that is sort of that is providing you know the trust that it's going to you know a transaction has happened or so it's kind of taking that away. It's really taking away that individual that that middleman that middleman exactly and uses cryptography. And I won't go into the into you know consensus about and how all this happens because that's sort of getting into the weeds a bit. But and also with with this, we can have logic that can be baked into the code through this thing called smart contracts. So it's sort of what it's it provides a lot of automation that we don't have today. You know, we don't. Uh, it and it's going to drive a lot of the costs out of. Um, you think of you know how much. How many intermediaries are in, involved in everyday goods and services that uh, you buy? Uh, it, it, it's going to eliminate friction. It's going to streamline up uh, a lot of that. And it really makes the, instead of spending, uh, you know, all this money we spend on intermediaries, I'm not saying we're not going to need intermediaries, but it's certainly going to drive the costs down because here we have a technology that can, uh, like, Cryptography provides trust instead of instead of an individual or an intermediary that provides that trust. So, so you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it's there's a lot of there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of benefits that are going to be have huge yeah. Im- implications. Well, you mentioned decentralized. Um, that's a, a, a sort of a major feature of the technology versus centralized, yep. which is the construct of how business works today. Exactly. Can you talk a bit more about why that's significant? Okay, well, we can get into like this decentralization. So it's really this idea that uh, things are more member-driven. If it's decentralized, decisions are made by the members or by um, individuals. And I mean, we can also talk about decentralized autonomous organization. This is another construct that comes with um, with blockchain. And this is a, a new kind of like, it, like a co-op, if you like. This sort of enables these kinds of structures to exist, where people are able to participate in the decision making. You have a token, and the more number of tokens you own, the the more clout you have in the decision making process. Okay, let me back you up there. You mentioned the word token. Let's let's define that. That's a fascinating term. Well, a token is another word for a cryptocurrency or a crypto asset, but there are some nuances and usually Bitcoin and Ethereum are excluded uh, from this definition. So I guess the question is, does the token, does the token run on its own blockchain or not um, is an important thing to know. So let's look at an example. Uh, there's a 
DeFi project called Aave, A-A-B-E. Um, Aave is what's called a liquidity protocol. Um, and they basically provide this platform for users to do lending and borrowing. And they can make passive income from that. And it's a very, very popular blockchain uh, project. And uh, they're actually number 48 in terms of market cap of all tokens. And their token, Aave, uh, and actually the project runs on top of um, Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain. And also, and they run on other blockchains as well, such as Polygon and Avalanche and um, other native um, blockchains. So their token is actually used as a utility and a governance token. What does that mean? Well, the token offers utility. Usually, the definition of a utility token is it offers utility within the actual application. So, for instance, you can buy services on the platform uh, using the token, or the token is also used as a reward for users as well. So, there's some function it plays, you know, within within the, the um, platform. The governance part of it is that it's used to vote on decisions. And the more tokens you own, the more sway you obviously have in decisions about how the platform or the project runs. Um, and so many of these projects are also, they also operate on what's called a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization. So with it runs without a centralized authority, basically, and which is kind of incredible in the blockchain world because basically people who don't know each other all over the world basically can make decisions democratically that and autonomously and this gets encoded right on the blockchain so this is how these organizations work many of them as DAOs. uh there's another kind of token that i think it's really important for iros and that's security tokens and security tokens are uh, and Doing like an STO, which is a security token offering, means you are offering a regulated security that is on the blockchain. And these these tokens obviously um, represent a stake of ownership, like a share. There's actually a, a many security tokens available. And they trade on ATSs in the U.S., like T0 or INX, also on regulated exchanges uh, all over the world and other, in other countries. And they're still a growing part. Um, you know, as, as regulatory clarity comes to this whole industry, um, this is probably going to grow. Um, but as of right now, there is the market cap, according to one company, security token market that tracks this. There of, of these uh, security tokens, regulated security tokens, there is a total market cap of about 17 billion as of August, and the trading volume is um, 11 million. And there's all kinds of uh, companies that are that do these, like lots of real estate companies, because the great you can actually fractionalize ownership, so you can own a small amount of a of a house, for instance. And so you see a lot of those right now and all kinds of companies that prefer to go the regulated security token route. 
How did so, how did that company a Ave, Ave how did they use tokens? What did they what was their can you describe that process? So how do you launch a token or essentially bring it to market like an IPO in a blockchain world? Well, there's a lot of exchanges, as IROs probably know, decentralized exchanges that are the non-regulated part of uh, blockchain and the digital asset ecosystem. These are P2P, peer-to-peer um, exchanges. And names like uh, Uniswap is the absolutely the, the largest one. And then we have centralized exchanges like Coinbase and Binance. These are the two largest centralized exchanges. And, and there's an element of regulation with these exchanges and custody and assured, more assurances for users than this. Um, and easier to use, really, than decentralized um, peer-to-peer exchanges. So to give an example of how you launch a, a token, um, let's go to the example of Aave again. And Aave actually uh, did an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. I, you probably remember back in 2017, um, 2018, <laughs> there were a lot of these ICOs where founders with some idea, but not really much behind uh, behind them in terms of a company decided that they would just use this new technology to raise money. Um, and some of them raised a lot of money really quickly. Um, and of course, that that's ICOs have for the most part gone away. And there's you know most of, most of the companies died actually because it was too much innovation too early. But uh, some of the companies that survived are companies like Alve. So they did their ICO in 2017 initially, and they raised $60 million for their first token, which was LEND. And then what happened to them is they had a lot of issues, obviously, as a new company. Um, they had to revamp the platform, they revamped the name, and then they launched as Aave in January of 2020. So today, Aave is ranked as, as I mentioned, number 48 in market cap, uh, their market cap is 1.2 billion today, and they have five billion dollars of total value locked by their users doing um, lending and borrowing. And their token can be is, is traded on many um, dexes, decentralized exchanges, and also CXs, centralized exchanges. And so, what you find today is that there's a lot of companies in the DeFi in blockchain world doing what's called IDOs. These are small companies that want to launch on a decentralized exchange and uh, unregulated decentralized exchange. And so what they have to do when they, they have to communicate opportunity and strategy to a community of users, they want to bring these users to their, to their company. Um, And there's, I see a lot of um, IR skills in, involved in this. You know, a lot of these users are also looking at these tokens as um, investment opportunities. Um, so here's where we need regulatory clarity, um, obviously. But, you know, a lot of IR skills are what you have to use when you do an IDO. Um, and then they obviously first launch on uh 
de- uh, on DEXs, and then eventually their plan is usually as they as they build their their project and launch their launch their platform or whatever it is. Um, eventually, they will want to list on a centralized exchange as they get as as they get more successful. So it's like a digital version of an IPO, really. And and I I see a lot of parallels for what IROs do. And so this may be in the future. This could be the future by R. You know, obviously they want to build users, they want to build liquidity, they want to build their market cap and total value locked, um, as Ave has. And um, I think that's what's really exciting when, you know, obviously a lot of things have to be solved first. I mean, this whole, uh, it has to be much easier for users to participate in owning cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, we you have wallets and uh, custody issues, and um, there's a lot of things you have to, uh, you know, going to a centralized exchange, it's much easier, but if you in, in the world of DeFi, it can be very, very complicated. So we need more. Uh, we need a, a lot of user interfaces that are, are much uh, easier for users to use. And then, of course, we need uh, regulatory clarity so that uh, we, everyone knows what the, what the rules are um, and users are, are protected. Um, how do you see the job of an IRO in five or 10 years? Um, and, and, you know, will crypto and digital assets will be... Five or ten years from now, will they be as much a part of capital markets as fiat and conventional products and services are now? Yeah, or- I think yes, I think so. I think so. Um, I like this prediction of um, there's an individual by the name of Ben Gortzel, and he is an AI uh, researcher. He's with this organization called Singularity Net. Very smart guy involved in the sector for a long time. He says the the business world of the future ten years from now is going to run on smart contracts. Um, and as well as smart, strong in, encryption and peer-to-peer based consensus mechanisms, which is how um, all of these uh, crypto assets work. And uh, he also says the core technologies underlying our blockchain are going to underpin everything, just like just as the internet has. Uh, so now that says to me that these we're we're, we're going to have um, we're going to have more regulated security. Tokens, you know, it, as we get a more clear regulation uh, that that comes, I think we're going to we're we're basically going to have um, more crypto assets and more you know virtual versions of of um, of securities, and you know, I, and I, I think these will still require um, IROs to be um, interfacing with the the, the communities. Uh, investors and communicating opportunity and strategy and uh, keeping investors informed and uh, and you know all of the other functions that IROs do. So, but I think we're just going to be in a world of uh, of a lot more digital assets. In fact, I've heard some other predictions that that crypto assets could be you know over twenty percent of of all. Um, securities in 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 10 years i think there was a there was a uh, european study uh, by a university that came up oh. with i think 27% i think is what they said and by i think it was like 2030 <laughs> so yeah i think that we're we're in a world where we're going to we're going to see more of this and i think that how the iron iron's job is going to evolve 
is that I, I think that the two key ways, number one, I think all of the administration stuff we do in the job, um, all of the uh, intermediaries we deal with, I think a lot of that is going to be simplified. I mean, I think organizations like Broadridge know very well what's what's coming up. And I mean, they've embraced, uh, I know that they've embraced um, blockchain and, and figuring out how can they how can they leverage this technology like years ago already? I think all of that is going to be um, simplified. And I mean, even to the point where we can build, we can build regulation into the code. Um, so there, when you think of all of the proxies uh, and um, all of the paperwork and the constructs that we have to do with, um, uh, you know, required um, for compliance purposes, like there's just so much of that that can be that can be simplified also. So I think this is going to mean that the IRO is doing a lot less administration. But I think on the other side, uh, I think that they're going to be spending um, more time with more investors, like a larger community of investors. You know that you can buy fractional. It is, you can buy. I mean, you can buy like a point one percent of a Bitcoin for gosh sakes. So what does that mean? You know that means that uh, that means that um, this is democratization aspect um, that blockchain um, brings because it's decentralized and um, and I think that means that retail investors are going to be they're going to have a lot more retail investors and um, you know that is part of your community than you had in the past. So um, and then the, then these retail investors are going to be the millennials and the Gen Zs today that are that cause you know. Robin Hood to be, uh, uh, it, it's it's amazing success last year, although they're not quite so successful this year. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but but I, I just think that uh, that you know those are some of the changes that um, I think that IROs can, you know, how this is going to impact the IROs job. What can they do then? Uh- Linda, I guess just to wrap up, what what can they do now? Your average sort of conventional IRO, aside from you know asking their kids about this, what's going on? How can they get up to speed so that they're not dinosaurs ten years from now? Well, I think blockchain is here to stay. I think we can all agree uh, with that. Certainly within the industry, there's agreement on that. And tokenization is coming. DeFi is coming. Again, I mean that we need we need uh, more uh, user friendly applications, more simplicity, and more regulatory clarity. But the advice I would give to IROs is: first of all, if you're a medium or large cap company and you have no idea what your company is doing in blockchain, um, I suggest you talk to your CTO because uh, there may be something going on, and and you don't know about it because these blockchain is has applications in almost every single industry. And and there's probably, if you don't know what's going on, there's probably something, some research. Your company might be involved in um, some consortiums. In many industries, uh, companies are getting together into consortiums and trying to figure out how they can use this, uh, use blockchain technology in a really effective way. So something like that, like that might be going on. It's good to know about it. I would suggest to read and learn about blockchain and about digital assets, um, YouTube, there are tons of um, really interesting and easy educational videos on YouTube. There's, you know, a lot, lots of uh, junk there too. So <laughs> uh, 
So you, you, um, uh, you know, there's a little bit of both, but there's good stuff as well. Uh, one newsletter that I really like is, is from Fortune magazine. It's called The Ledger. And if you want to just understand every couple of weeks what's going on and just really get a macro view of what's significant, um, I find this newsletter does that and gives you interesting links to um, major news stories. So that's a put a passive way to find out what's going on. And then, of course, Coindesk and Cointelegraph are the two publications, um, large largest publications in the industry that have a, a ton of information. Um, I could, would also suggest to learn by doing. Now, obviously, I'm not an investing in, investment advisor. I'm not providing investment advice. But I would suggest that you should, it, it's a good idea to learn about this too. Go to an, uh, a major exchange like Coinbase, for instance, or whatever ex- uh, major uh, and uh, credible exchanges exist in in your um, in your country, and buy some digital assets and hold them in your wallet. And get there's a couple of apps you can get um, download on your phone. One is Coin Gecko, another one is Coin Market Cap, and that's all one word. And they are the major applications to learn about different coins and understand uh, understand what their values are and, and keep track of uh, of them. So that that's the best way. Uh, you'll certainly learn by doing to track the price. You can understand what's going on with them and within the industry, and that's the best way to learn. Yeah. Linda Montgomery, thanks for joining us on the ticker. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And that's your Ticker Podcast. My thanks to Linda Montgomery. And thank you for listening. For IR Magazine, I'm Jeff Cassette.